Hello and welcome to episode 120 of the 1099 for the week of November 20th, 2017. I'm your host, Josiah Renauden, and with me today is a UK editor for GameSpot, a former freelancer, and someone who occasionally gains Twitter fame by tweeting pictures of his cat, Tamor Hussein. <laughs> Tamor, how are you doing today? Hi. Uh, that cat has completely taken over my life. <laughs> it's really incredible how, like, you know, you're doing all this work at GameSpot, you spent all this time to get where you are, and within, like, two pictures, your cat's so far ahead of you in fame. Yeah, that's always the way with cats, isn't it? They were, yeah. you know, worshipped as gods at one point, and... I think since, since, you know, we don't, the modern age, we don't worship them anymore. They still have that mentality and are always striving to reach that, that high level again. So I guess, I guess sooner or later we'll all be worshiping cats again. And I look for, <laughs> I look forward to that I day. I think we're already there. I honestly yeah. think we've already hit that point. It's, I agree. Where's dog Twitter? Like, I feel like there is dog Twitter and there's always these viral dog videos or like dog rates, which is one of like the top accounts out there. But I don't feel like you, tweet out a picture of your dog rolling over or something and you're like oh yeah. that's gonna get a hundred thousand retweets the thing is like this is always my my point when we have when anyone has dogs versus cats discussions dogs are quite needy they they just give their love to you and that's why mm. people love them right cats yeah. are like they have they have their moments where they'll behave like cold to you and then when they show you some love it usually feels more genuine even though it's completely for selfish reasons, they're probably manipulating you in some way to get something else that they want. But like, because it's, there's a hot and cold element with them, it's more valuable to you and it's more valuable when you put it out there as well. People are like, oh, that cat is so cute. Whereas oh, like, a dog, this is, a dog this is, is always just personally happy. revealing moment you're going to get where you're basically explaining, like, I like the people who it's like, I like them to play hard to get a little bit. I want to <laughs> earn that moment. I want to earn that love instead of the dog who's just like, look, give me a treat and I will. I'm in. Like I'm it's fine. I have a dog who's currently she's she's essentially a cat. She's snoring behind me ridiculously. But no, <laughs> I I think you're right. There's definitely like an earned love versus yeah. like this dog is just happy that you're petting it. You want you want to feel like it, there's actual depth and genuine a genuine quality to the to the relationship you have instead of just it's like if someone met you uh, and was immediately like just assumed friendship you'd think that's weird you'd be, if yeah, they came up to you and was like hey so. i seen you dogs today are really cool. cool they could fetch i mean i love that uh, i love that you could like, like hug them more without them like cats get pissed if you hug them i don't know but uh, the problem is if i ever get mugged or anyone tries to like come into my house my dog would immediately just roll over for him and be like oh cool new person so i feel like your cat might actually be a better guard dog I, than my my, my dog. cats would tear anything that approaches them <laughs> up uh and so we could talk about cats and dogs all day <laughs> and i eventually do want to get to you know how you got to game spot a lot of the freelance work you've done before but uh, we were just talking off air and this will kind of date this podcast but you just got back from paris games week which yeah. I feel like I had more attention on it this year than in most years past, maybe because there was kind of that PlayStation rumbling of E3 Part 2, motherfucker. Like, this is the one. Mm. Here we go. All these games coming out. And I feel like for people based in the U.S. who don't know much about this event, how does this compare to the E3, the Gamescoms, or the PAXs of the world? What's it actually like boost on the ground there? Um, I, I'm going to be 100% honest with you. And I think this is probably the weakest of all the events. Um, okay. There is some history behind why Sony is there now, and like it's it's stuff that I've not a hundred percent confirmed, and but it's it's been discussed enough times that it feels like it's there's, there's there might be something to it. There's kind of like a there might be some behind the scenes stuff that happened between Sony and Gamescom as a as a kind of organization. 
which is why they kind of shifted to Paris Games Week. Um, and also have, you know, uh, this is separate from any drama that might happen between them and Gamescom. They have, um, you know, the PlayStation experience. Is that what it's called? The, the PlayStation. Yeah, I think thing. that's what it is. Yeah. So, um, so like the, the big draw for Paris Games Week is PlayStation. The only reason most people go is for PlayStation. And like, honestly, like one of the main reasons we went this year was for PlayStation. Like as, as someone who organized it and, and, you know, had to figure out what we're going to get out of it. I did my utmost to try and get more than PlayStation out of it. And it just so happened that thankfully we had other companies there this year. Microsoft were there, um, Ubisoft were there. And so we were able to kind of go around and see some other things here and there. Um, but for the most part, it's Sony and nothing else. The show floor itself was very weird. It's the most, free space you'll see on a convention floor <laughs> um which is kind of liberating in a way because yeah. you know usually you're just wall-to-wall packed against people bouncing off everyone and it's hot and sweaty and smelly and this one's kind of like there's just masses of space you can have like mini football matches are just around um <laughs> but at the same time it's like everything there is also run-ons from the events that come before it so Kind of the stands are the same stands you've seen at Gamescom and E3 before. Um, the builds might be similar. The games are almost all the same. The weirdest thing about it is like that most of the games that were there are out and it baffled me. And, and I was there with Lucy James, who was on this podcast recently mm. and, um, Adam Mason, who's one of the video producers at our site. And we were like, these games are out. Why are they lining up for them? Like, yeah, why would you want to so show sure. that? Like, why would you waste money? Like, yeah, I mean, setting like, all that space up. It's pre- it's slightly presumptuous of us because you know maybe they don't have the money to play the, buy all those games and they can. This is maybe. a good opportunity to pick one and kind of get a sampler and figure it out. But it just seems like a lot of people were just kind of like, I guess I'll play Assassin's Creed because there's <laughs> nothing else here, which is like fair play. But yeah, it's it's a very strange kind of empty. Um, convention but then again there's not a lot of options for people in europe especially in like france and any neighboring countries there's not major um conventions or shows that happen on the level of um e3 gamescom is pretty much the only one that that the only other one and you know if you miss that you're kind of like out of luck do they still have those like video game stations at like supermarkets and different stores where you basically have to like you could play all the newest games on whatever PlayStation or Xbox they have sent up, or am I, if I not been in a store for that long? Cause can't people do that instead of going to these events and play games that are already out? Uh, over here, over here, I don't think you can, because where there's, there's very few, there's one specialist chain that still does video games and that's game. And, um, for the most part, like it's very few of the stores will have, um, the latest games available to play. Um, some of them will have like an esports area or something like that, but oh, it's rare to go in there and see like a pod for a game that's coming up before it's out. Um, it's very infrequent, but then again, you get, you know, you have opportunities to see these games ahead of time and through the internet and demos here and there. But yeah, I don't think there's any opportunities to kind of just go into a store and play it. Most of the games that are being sold now are through Amazon or like a supermarket, which doesn't want to space, um, waste <laughs> additional space on, on video games. 
I am not old, but that immediately made me feel old that you're like, oh, there's an esports spot and not just like remember in Walmart when I was younger, there's always like these TVs that are way too high up. So your neck by the end of it, you you like your parents would be shopping and like getting groceries and you're sitting there playing, I don't know, like Prince of Persia for 45 minutes straight looking directly up. I don't miss that, but I also kind of miss that. It's yeah, I kind of miss that too. Yeah, yeah that, that, a little the good bit. Days. Yeah. Like you end up, you don't have to like, I played that fucking like king kong game for the uh xbox 360 and like i almost beat the entire thing because it felt like they just like had the whole game there and i'm like i don't need to get a 360 anymore i'm playing <laughs> the best games available uh, you mentioned that sony kind of dominates paris games week and i think there's value to that where if you have maybe not a smaller event but a less mainstream event like this if you dominate it you could become the leading news story coming out of it and that's what happened with the sony showcase it was interesting because it, mm. it was going well it was uh i mean before it even started we're already talking about um uh splunky 2 and a lot of other cool announcements that were happening and then it took this harsh dark turn at the end with these last two trailers and again this podcast is publishing a couple of weeks after the event so we don't really need to dwell on the games themselves but i kind of want to touch on this are are we in a weird spot when it comes to video game violence because you have things like doom and wolfenstein that can almost be comically gory it's the violence mm. is shocking at times but it's matched with almost with doom it's almost gleeful with wolfenstein there's like a dark humor element to it but then you watch the last of us part two and detroit and like man it's it's tough to do something like that in general with a deft touch let alone yeah. fit that into a press briefing where there's all these people especially like over here in you know the u.s it's sometimes early in the day and suddenly there's just these extreme violence and domestic abuse mm. scenes do you think the timing was the main issue there or was it how the violence itself was handled i think it was a little bit of everything and uh, you know as with with everything sensitive context is important and it's just not it's not just context of what they were showing but it's when they were showing it in terms of at the time of the day and also in terms of where we are as a society and an industry um it was very very tricky for them you know let's looking at it on its own just the the pure decision to show it where they did when they did it was two for both games it was these very harrowing moments from each game removed from any context um just a slice of each game and to watch that out of nowhere following this kind of almost light pre-show where they just quickly announcing games and it's spelunky and you know the only thing in the pre-show that was kind of heavy was ghosts of tsushima i think it's called um yeah. the sucker punch um game um about the japanese samurai uh, but even that pales in comparison to what we saw from both um david cage's game and and naughty dog's game and i think that did come as a bit of a shock i know there's been some discussion about age ratings and that kind of stuff and i to, if i'm honest i don't remember how they approached that because i was in the audience um and i can't tell whether what i saw was the same as what everyone else saw i'm not sure if like a a, a peggy rating or a bbfc or whatever it may oh, be i don't remember to be honest i don't think so though yeah but i think that's part of the problem so like if you saw that perhaps that would have alleviated some of the issues where suddenly this violent moment is sprung upon you um at the same time like that's one way that that made it tricky and one kind of failing perhaps they had in terms of um trying to mitigate some of the shock of that of that those two scenes and at the same time it's like the th you know it's it's women being violent to each other and having violence you know inflicted upon them at a time when sensitivity towards violence 
especially towards women and the way women are treated both in our industry and in other industries and the world as a whole as as a whole is you know at center stage it's tricky yeah and and like so, so there needed to be some thought put into that perhaps there wasn't like i can't speak for them perhaps there was and this was a a, a decision they chose to take and and the, the difficulty for them is like for the for, especially for the creators of those games it's like perhaps there is context for that stuff that makes it all meaningful but in this scenario it's very tricky to lay that out there in a way that people feel like okay that was rough but we see that there's more to it and it's just not for glorifying violence or like just just to shock and you know using it as a as a kind of like a hey look how cool our press conference is yeah. but wasn't that rad um it's tricky um and i think for like i don't want to i don't want to be preachy or whatever but i think it requires a level of kind of you have to absorb it and try and think from most perspectives from mm. both sides of of the argument if you're in the audience and you're on twitter and you're like damn that sucked of course it did suck but you need to also think about the other side of it and the kind of intentions perhaps and before you kind of just make a, a blanket judgment and from the other side as well from sony side they should have thought of this in a similar way they should have thought of okay we don't have the context there is this something that we want to do and i think there's there's from both sides there's failings and and to, to kind of consider yeah, there's there's a lot of missing context. And there's just so many angles to this. Because if you think about Detroit, no one trusts David Cage to write a story that tackles these issues mm-hmm. delicately or smartly. Like, they don't. And I, I am a fan of Heavy Rain. And I, at the time, and I think I'd retweeted something from Kevin Van Order to this effect. You know, it's, I don't know if it would work now, but in the moment, it felt like my story. It just, it just worked. That one playthrough really was memorable and it stuck with me. But, you know, Beyond Two Souls, not so much. And the writing has never been, there's always holes. There's always things that are just handled awkwardly. So first you see that and you're like, Oh, Jesus Christ. David Cage is doing this. Like we're going to have to deal with that. And then you move on to Naughty Dog has a really good reputation, but there was recently that alleged there was that employee who had that complaint about possible sexual harassment and stuff like that. And then you see violence to women on stage from a Naughty Dog game. So suddenly it's this one, two punch along with just no context and shock value and it was a lot of like what's going on but we're approaching this point where games you know are considered quote unquote art and more powerful games are starting to come out that push the envelope and i think to a certain extent that's good like we see these harsh things you know like we previously mentioned and it's tough to watch and i think we both agree that it's important to deal with difficult topics in games if we want to push the medium forward but for you are there certain subjects that are just best left alone and not tackled in an interactive thing like a game uh that's that's a difficult question to answer because it requires it assumes that i have experience in every sort of difficult situation that a fictional you know piece of content or entertainment form could cover like i for me like I, I I have, let's say, for example, I've got personal experience with racism. Mm-hmm. So I can, from a personal perspective, as someone who has been on one side of that, say I would like to see games tackle racism because I feel like they're an important medium and my the way I've dealt with it is I feel like I can learn from someone who tries to say something or, or I can learn from an experience that tries to say something about racism. 
However, I can't apply my own sensitivities and sensibilities to someone who has perhaps suffered domestic violence or abuse because um, not, not in the terms of, you know, a female being abused. Like, I'm not saying I have no experience with being abused, but, you know, I don't have any, any experience with uh, being a female on the, on the end of like, uh, uh, you know, domestic violence. So yeah. I can't say that, yes, we should tackle that because I, I've never, I've never been affected by it. So it, it, it's not my place to say it. Like, would I, would I be interested in, in perhaps some gaming that tries to, uh, present what it's like to be on the end, one end of, of domestic violence and the, the issues that someone on that end can face both in the moment and, and as fallout and ongoing. I, I would absolutely like to see that, but I can't be the person to make that call and I can't be the person to make that, that con, that, that, that piece of fiction or, or a game or a writer. It's the same way that, for example, let's look at, um, Ninja Theory's latest game. Um, yeah. that Hellblade, that I have no, um, familiarity with psychosis. That game helped me understand psychosis a little bit better. I have some experience with mental health stuff, but not that specific type. I wasn't, they did the, they did the legwork. They did a lot of research and I spoke to them about it and they contacted people who have suffered through this and were able to create a game that helped me understand what someone who goes through psychosis goes through. And I thought that was a valuable experience. So there are yeah. things that I feel like games should cover, but I also feel like it shouldn't be the people who have no experience with those decisions making the, those making those um, making that type of game or whatever. That's, maybe that's I think that's the major important thing here. Again, going I'm not trying to pile on David Cage, but you you see that scene and you're like, so there's like this you know this this dude who, as far as we know, you know he's not a woman, so he definitely hasn't gone through it like what he's writing it as, and he's the one who's telling this story. And you hope that if you're going to tackle something that delicate you really talk to a lot of people who have gone through that or maybe someone who's gone through that helped write that scene who was able to convey what that's like because we don't know and mm. i agree with you sometimes it's you know it's hard to want to understand that but you do want to understand what those people have gone through you want to be able to if not relate be able to just understand that perspective and i know me being you know a straight white dude when i saw the last of us trailer i i remember seeing a lot of tweets saying like you know really not enjoying that trailer and i initially didn't make the and this is my fault entirely the connection for me i, I thought it was just about the violence not the violence against women i think it was just because in that moment it was like two women fighting each other and a lot of different things like that so mm. it's i think we have blind spots with stuff like that sometimes and you have to be able to have someone talk to you and explain like this is why this isn't okay or this is why this isn't done right. We need to do this a different direction. You just hope in all of these cases, there are people around who are able to take a step yeah. back and help the person take a step back and be like, this is what you're missing that these people go through that you would never understand. Yeah, I guess like in the case of um, the last of us two's trailer, I also felt like, I'm not going to lie. I had, I was on both sides. I felt both, both yeah. kind of perspectives. I both looked at it, watched it and felt like this is an interesting thing that I'm, I, I'm excited for. Like, I hate to use excited in, in, in the, the context, you, though, in the context of yeah, the, these virtual women beating the snot out of each other. But like, I'm, I want to see what the rest of it is. Like, I want to see what that is. At the same time, it was very brutal to watch, and it was it's the same. Like, it was difficult for me to watch it. But 
Like, I'm not going to act like, I'm not going to front and say, oh, no, I was completely outraged by it because I wasn't. There was a part of me that was like, I want to see what happens here. And there was a part of me that rationalized it. And perhaps someone listening to this might say, oh, this guy's terrible. But like, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to be frank with you. In my mind, I tried to figure it out and, and, and it, and I did come up with like, you know, a way for it me to make myself feel better about it. You know, it's this, it's this world where an awful thing has happened. People, you know, humanity is being wiped out. These weird zombie things are just everywhere. And people are turning on each other. And when people turn on each other and they're in desperate straits, it becomes brutal. Like yeah. it becomes bad. And in this scenario, it, this is perfectly a perfect reflection of humanity at its worst, which is what Naughty Dog wanted to present, right? Um, and it's something they kind of touched on in, in the first game. And it looks like they're going darker with this time around. So like, that's how I rationalize it. And part of what helped me rationalize that was Naughty Dog are good writers. They're people that tell good stories. Um, mm. The Last of Us 1, I'm not a huge fan of that game, but I can at the very least say like there's an honest to God good effort at, you know, the relationships they try to depict and the character dynamics. There's a lot of thought pointing to them and they're nuanced and it seems like they've done the proper work to make sure they feel genuine and there's reason behind everything that happens. And like my, uh, having, with, with that experience, I'm inclined to give them the benefit of the doubt at this point, which yeah. allows me to look at a scene like that and say, that sucks. That makes me uncomfortable. But I think these guys might have something that kind of makes it worth, not worthwhile, but meaningful. So that's what, that's what kind of allowed me to do that. Perhaps you disagree. And in which case, if you do disagree, anyone out there or yourself um that's fair i 100 percent understand that perspective and i'm willing to kind of you know <laughs> stick by you and and stand up for your for your uh kind of side for for that the different the difference with um david cage and his game is his track record is not as good mm-hmm. or it's not as um you know naughty dogs games for example everyone loves them i might not like last of us but it feels like by and large the gaming world is kind of on team naughty dog they've earned some goodwill they've earned goodwill whereas the david cage's games and quantic dreams games are a little more divisive um and especially in terms of writing i'm not a fan of uh, heavy rain i mm. did not like beyond i thought fahrenheit had one good scene in it the starting <laughs> scene and um, the rest of it was hot trash and mm. the game before it omicron or whatever it's called i never played and i have no intention of playing it i don't think that they're particularly strong writers i think they have moments and but that's not enough in a scenario where you're showing a child maybe being beaten up or a a a female even if it is an android being beaten up that's just having your moments just having a track record of some moments is perhaps not good enough there and like Obviously, we're, we're talking about David Cage, and we discussed this before, but I did the interview with David Cage, which is up on GameSpot, and you, you mm. can read that if you want. And one of the questions I asked, like uh, referring back to what you said earlier, was basically, I didn't say it like this, but because it would be quite combative, and I didn't want that, but like I wanted to see whether there was where the authenticity in that scenario was coming from. So I asked him, like, where you use, he said, like, I, I use my own experiences as kind of like fuel for what I write. So I said, I asked him, what is the experience that kind of led to the creation of Detroit and the scene that you showed off? And his response was lacking, in yeah, my opinion. It like, sure was. He said his exact words were, I'll be honest with you, I don't know. And 
from his perspective, again, I, I'm one of those people that tries to think about both perspectives. From his perspective, he says, his idea is, he, he dug down deep inside and found just like an energy to write. And this is what came out of it. Like, that's what he seems to be kind of presenting. Like, sometimes you just write and you don't really know where it's coming from. It's just one of those almost euphoric, like transcendent experiences. He's one of those kind of creators. Sounds like he smoked a lot of weed. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't want to, I don't want to say, as. yeah, I don't want to try and say like he's, the dude was high as a kite, but I'll say it's fine. Perhaps he, he, you know, I don't know. He, he doesn't seem like the kind of drugs guy, but like the, what he's equating his creative process to is something like that, like a trip almost. And that is from his perspective, maybe that's enough. But like from my perspective, my perspective and, and perhaps the perspective of people around, around the, you know, on Twitter sphere and, and the rest of the world, a lot of people would say that's not enough, dude. Like just, just kind of like freewheeling and freestyling with this kind of subject matter is not a good idea. And that's, you know, you need to have experienced people around you to, to kind of draw upon if you're going to try, if you don't have the personal experience, you need to surround yourself with people who do have that experience. So you can make sure you have that authenticity. Maybe that's what Naughty Dog's doing, and maybe that's what kind of like is not likely. People aren't likely to think Quantic Dreams is doing. Perhaps they are, and he's just not willing to say that they are because you know maybe it's a, a you know a David Cage thing. But I, I asked I asked him again, like, are there people around you that you kind of speak to and? He kind of, again, another wishy-washy answer about it. And it was kind of like, yeah, I write it and I test it and I speak to people. But it would have been good for him to just say, yeah, I'm surrounded by people who have personal experiences with, with, with domestic violence and, and being, and, and I'm drawing upon them. But he didn't say that, yeah. which is why that's not, that's not where my judgment of it comes from. But like, I guess that's why as a whole, people are a little kind of like worried about it because if he's not willing to say I, I have personal experience with it or like he's not willing to say I am speaking to the appropriate people whether it's people who have suffered or people you know charities that deal with it or organizations that deal with it it's it's shaky ground he that interview went places and it's there's, there's so many things that stuck out as I was going through it and it's something I want to definitely talk about because I mean if we start at this point obviously games are different than movies or books because you're participating. And I think that's like an important thing to note, especially in situations like this where we are tackling harder things. And he kind of makes this point that, you know, the player is making the connections in collaboration with the creator. When it's a movie or a book, basically like this is what this writer or this, you know, this, this, this person is creating the movie is showing you. This is their story and you don't, you're sitting there and we're watching it or you're sitting there and reading it. And he almost to a certain extent, during that interview, it seemed like he made it feel like the developer isn't trying to show them certain points or answers, just just kind of push out questions to a certain extent. But, mm. you know, in my mind, the developer is still crafting these situations. They're still holding the camera. They're showing you what they want to show you. And, of course, I think it's important to note that you can, in these situations, present ideas and leave the the player to decide how he or she sees that situation, how they would react, how they want to deal with it. And a lot of games are based on that. You think about like The Walking Dead and, um, I mean, let's go back to Heavy Rain. There are situations and you make decisions, but it, it, there's still responsibility there for the creator, right? There's still responsibility mm. in how it's depicted and the the decisions that they create, right? Yeah, I absolutely, I agree. And like that was one of the things I kind of alluded to 
in 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 one of my questions but like his his whole point is i want to ask questions but like stepping back f- and I'm, I'm about to say something that's really it's going to sound really stupid but it's worth repeating just because it, it kind of it highlights why this is weird is if the only thing you're doing is asking questions you're saying nothing like you're yep. not providing anything you're just asking questions and your audience leaves taking nothing away from it you might have stirred some emotion with them but like you've got to have something really special for you to come up with a question in the minds of your audience that they've never thought of before especially mm. when you're when you're kind of your your the genre you're in is is this well-tread territory of androids and and you know rising up and all this all this kind of stuff that blade runner has done and all you know i robot and all the other hundreds of pieces of fiction that have covered this same genre i swear to god and i i feel bad for saying this i feel like david cage hasn't even like watched or read that stuff before i feel like he's (laughs) like these are fucking new ideas you're like dude have you ever watched a movie i mean maybe he has and maybe he has again i want to try and maintain some balance here maybe he does have something amazing to say maybe he will come up you know maybe he'll leave us completely like baffled with these amazing questions that he suddenly come up with but like what are the chances dude like i that would be the surprise of the year i gotta tell you and and one of the questions i i asked was exactly that like what are you bringing to to this genre and to these themes that no one else has ever done um and the fact of the matter is like he he didn't really have anything amazing to kind of say about it like and real just... quick sorry to interject like i i don't think every piece of media needs to break the mold and say something incredible but if you're david cage and you're building it that way and you're speaking of it like that you better be able to back that up because it always feels like for him he's pushing this as innovative and like it like it might actually do something new but it just never feels that way right yeah yeah i i agree and like again i have to i I feel like i should try and maintain some sort of balance (laughs) with it but like maybe he will but at the moment i'm not convinced like a lot of people i'm not convinced and i'm of the opinion that at this stage we're 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 in a place with games where messages are a lot they carry a lot more weight than questions like say something that's how you stick with people like the way you when when a game says something it really kind of it hits maybe it's a few people maybe it's millions of people and that's how you make your work important and that's how you make your work matter it could be the most stupid thing ever what does metal gear solid say i mean it's God, uh, it's baffling that's, that's right? maybe the hardest question anyone's exactly. ever asked me but like it says something like i know what it says to me like it's about you know many many different things like nuclear the dangers of nuclear war or uh, the importance of relationships in in kind of like difficult scenarios that kind of stuff but it's it's a goofy game, but it says something, and because it says something, it stuck with me as a series through, yeah. throughout throughout time. If your game is not saying anything, it's just a bunch of questions about a thing that you know people have been asking questions around for ages. You're going to be forgotten, and like it, I I don't understand. This is a game that baffles me, and also like interests and excites me. I'm looking for. Well, I put this in air quotes. I'm looking forward to it. Like I, I do want to see again. Like I, I know you, you're not a like Heavy Rain fan. I really do have this appreciation for what Heavy Rain did. So there's this part of me that's like, I'm, I want to see what this thing is. And everything I've seen so far has made me. There's been a couple of highs and a couple of moments where I'm like, God, this is going to be a tire fire. So there is a certain, mm. like, 
watch the the train wreck kind of thing i, I just want to yeah. see what it actually comes out as and it's it, while i was reading that interview that you did it, as someone who interviews a lot of people it's, it's a lot of what i do every single week mm-hmm. i just kind of wanted to get understand what that experience was like because i would assume it's difficult interviewing someone like cage about a sense a topic this sensitive i mean this person has been nice enough to to talk about something very important to them which is this game they've spent years on they've kind of you know, staked their career on their it's it's really important to them but at the same time that important thing is doing something you might struggle with or you think is being handled poorly and you have to address that and it's a push pull right because this person is again giving you their time so if you come over to them combative and ready to be like all right, what the fuck is this shit? Like, you, that's not how interviews work. You can't do that. It's no. you have to establish something and then get to those topics. I mean, how do you know how far to take those questions while still being respectful to this person? Yeah, it's 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 very tricky. Um, and like, I, I, it's it, like you said, if someone's giving you time, and the the way I do it is like, first of all, I need to know that what I'm if I'm going to push someone in an interview, I need to have a genuine reason to do it. You get a lot of like publications, whether it's in or an interview interviewers that whether it's in games or elsewhere that their shtick is to you know stir the pot and get something tantalizing out of it. And usually when they're doing that, they don't have a genuine a purpose behind it. They don't have this you know. Uh, a kind of uh, a purpose is probably the best word for it. Like there's no there's no reason for them to do that. They're just doing it because they need that kind of hot button issue, or they need some juicy line, or something like that. And that's where it's kind of like you can tell that it can feel spiteful in that scenario. So for me, as long as I feel like I have a genuine reason to push someone on something, and I feel like there's value in me doing it, I feel okay with that doing that. Like I personally, I have to get to a place yeah. where I feel okay with doing that. So like when before that interview, I, I wasn't kind of like going in feeling like, oh man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna nail David Cage to the wall. I, I was just like, okay, I'm gonna talk to him about his new game. I'll ask him about what his purpose is and kind of like, there's some stuff that he said previously that's kind of hanging in the air that I'll try and get some clarification on. And then I saw the, the trailer for it. And, you know, it, it was the trailer. Everyone's seen it now. And that's when I felt like, okay, now I need to change my approach to be a little harder, um, maybe even a lot more harder, because there's genuine issues now. And mm-hmm. it's not like I, I and my, my my perspective is not everyone who sees that trailer um will have the opportunity to get an answer out of him. I'm one of the few people in this moment that is in a position to ask him about this. And I feel like it's my responsibility to myself and my job and the people who are out there on Twitter and on our website on GameSpot who who will want these questions answered like not everyone will and if you go into the comments on that interview oh, you'll see that the majority of the people don't care um, or maybe they do care but they you know they're fronting on the internet which is a thing <laughs> that people do or they'd rather just attack me or David Cage not everyone will care but I know for a fact that people there's a lot of people out there that that do care and as someone and knowing that i feel like the only thing i can do is try and get those answers because it's a wasted opportunity otherwise it's a wasted like i'm not helping the games as a whole like i don't feel like i'm out there because you know my interviews are going to change gaming or anything like that but at the very least if it can help kind of uh, inform people about the game and what it's trying to do and also kind of address any issues they might have with the game i feel like i've done my job 
right there. That's that's the main thing. Like, yeah. No, I I absolutely agree, and I'm not trying to like butter it up here, but that is a hard thing to do. Like, I think it's good you do that, but it's not always easy to mm. approach things in that way. I remember uh, Tom McShay has been on this podcast multiple times. He usually does the Game of the Year shows with me, and he, when he was still working at GameSpot, did that. Um, which Battlefield was it? It was one. Oh god, no! It was Medal of Honor. It was Medal of mm. Honor. That Medal of Honor reboot, because basically he just ha- was of this mind that you know you can't be genuine and authentic and really tell the story of war if you ever generating health if you have like if this is still a supposed to be fun video game you can't really tell that sort of deep military story and the creator of medal of honor of course you know took offense to that and they had this this interview that went on GameSpot basically where tom was explaining his point and the other dude was explaining his point and it was uncomfortable and i don't mean that in a negative way it yeah. was um one of those times where someone finally says like Okay, all this marketing where you're saying genuine to the soldiers, genuine to the war, the most realistic war game, but you're still, re- you know, using regenerating health and you're still like spawning and stuff like that. You can't, that's, that's like dissonant. And it was, I think, you know, in that case, the conversation was difficult to listen to, but I do think those types of interviews and those types of questions are important, especially in your case where you just see this trailer and you couldn't, you couldn't avoid that. You had to address that. It's not easy. Right. You could, you, well, you could avoid that, but then a lot of people like me would be like, Man, I really wanted to know, you know, more yeah. about this scene and how we actually put it together. It, it would have reflected poorly upon me and the website I worked for. That's yes. uh, at the end of the day. Like, if if literally everyone in the world who's seen that trailer is talking about this these specific concerns, and then I go in there and say, "How many frames a second does your game run at? <laughs> what engine is it built on? Um, who's Will the there voice be DLC, actor? Will Mr. there be Cage. DLC? Like that makes the website I look I work for bad." look bad and that's one of my primary concerns like i'm uh, like maybe we'll discuss this later but i i'm i was a fan of GameSpot way before i joined the, the site and worked at it and then became editor of the uk team like way before yeah. that and i i remember what the, the kind of things that the kind of content i used to get out of GameSpot. like they were the best at giving me all the information i needed and so if I'm going to be attaching my name to anything on that website, I want to make sure that I'm doing it justice. I have that heritage in my head. I, you know, the people who are, 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 I grew up reading, I have the privilege of now calling my colleagues and peers and I cannot in good faith, you know, work amongst them and put out, you know, interviews that are fluffy and, and kind of dodge the, dodge important issues when I have an opportunity to to go and talk about them and like I realize this makes it sound a lot more like dramatic and I'm trying to it might seem like I'm being like I'm the greatest interviewer and and I'm so good and I'm a crusader for I'm not I'm genuinely like what I mean by that is I'm a fan of the website and I want to make sure that anything that I write there for it reflects well on that website and I can be proud of it and yeah. in that scenario, if I had just asked those cookie cutter questions, I wouldn't have been proud of it. And I'd have felt like I've let down the, the website, the people who work at the website and the people who read the website and game, the people who, you know, are on Twitter having this discussion. If I can contribute to it more than I just like, instead of just fading into the background and having a yet another cookie cutter gaming article, that's what I want more than anything. Yeah. You had that unique opportunity in that moment to talk to David Cage. Yeah. You had to address that. Like in, in that very moment, it only made sense to, and we need more stuff like that, that questions things that need to be questioned instead of, like you said, just going down the regular list of like, all right, yeah. when's it coming out? You know, let's, let's talk. How long is the game? Like we don't, again, if we're advancing what 
games are, then games media needs to advance along with it. The same way that we don't have reviewers tilt anymore, we need to have these certain interviews that question these certain aspects of the game. The more yeah. you know, deep stories get, the more we need to talk about it. And uh, speaking of GameSpot, I mean, we've both written plenty of reviews for GameSpot, and I think we both mm-hmm. take games criticism pretty seriously. So let's say suddenly on your desk, you get a review copy of Detroit next year. Uh, and you're reviewing that for GameSpot. And let's say in this perfect world, even though like you're not a fan of these types of games as much, let's say the game mechanics are actually something really special. Mm-hmm. The the choice system really works. The graphics are incredible. And somehow, maybe this is the least believable part of this scenario, the voice acting somehow comes together. Where it's just like, <laughs> this game in this aspect is really incredible. But there are more scenes like what you saw before, and they don't handle it with that right mm-hmm. care. They They feel like someone who hasn't experienced it trying to write these experiences and then maybe they're missing certain things. Does that break the entire experience for you? Because different games need to be reviewed differently. And I think we can right. agree on that. Like Call of Duty game is reviewed differently than Gone Home or anything like that. It, it takes certain things mean more. The, the feel of the game means something different in a quote-unquote walking simulator than a shooter. So how do you even evaluate mm-hmm. and review something like Detroit? Uh uh, that's again another great tricky question. And and for the record, like my hope is it is what exactly what you say. Not not that in that it fails in those scenes, but I hope it's great. Like I yeah. really really do because in case there's any any like uh, you know for thinking otherwise, like I hope it does really really well and it succeeds because that ultimately pushes the medium forward. It means that we have we can say more. It means that block. I hope it does well and it, and it sells well. It means we can have blockbuster games instead of just indie games. One of the criticisms I, I received on Twitter was like maybe not a criticism, but someone pointed out that indie games have been covering these kind of like subject matters um, for ages and received none of the attention. And I saw that and and I I've taken that on as a failing. Like I I didn't think about the context of indie games more in that in that interview and. As a whole, I don't think of indie, indie games too much in, in in terms of subject that subject matter, and that's something I hope that I can improve on. But like indie games are doing that thing, but AAA space is very very you know careful about touching that stuff. So the fact that they're trying to do something with it is kind of interesting. And if they succeed, that benefits more big budget indie games because you know it means that you can cover these kind of subject matters in huge games with lavish you know cutscenes and cool gameplay ideas and that kind of stuff, and that ultimately proves to be amazing for games as a whole and gamers yeah so that's my thought on that as for like your specific question it's really tricky to say because it's hard to say what the impact of that moment can have on the rest of the game like if and and it also depends on the way you approach your review if it was if i were i don't write for a site where that kind of like defines the way i review um i you know the way we review it changes from person to person there was a point when gamespot would write every review almost like a bullet point list and i remember reading the reviews back in those days because that's how all reviews used to be you talk about the graphics and the gameplay and then this and then that and that yeah, and, and that's your summary paragraph exactly and, then, yeah. and that still applies for certain types of games and we can write like that if we want to provided that it's well written still but we're, we also work for a website where we can we can express our thoughts on a game in in less you know formulaic ways so it's difficult to say whether i could play that game and be able to kind of approach it from one of those angles instead of the other whether i'd be like oh it's, this is what this does well as a gameplay thing this is graphics are good etc cetera, etc cetera. or whether i'll play that game and feel like oh the fact that there these scenes aren't aren't landing is actively making me 
not want to play the game, even though the gameplay mechanically is sound or the controls are really good and visually it's good. So that might, it might, that could be the case. Or it might be that, you know, oh, there's only two scenes like this. And in the larger scheme of this, you know, in larger, you know, context, it's a 30 hour game, 20 hour game, whatever it may be. And those moments are five minutes each. And perhaps I feel like they suck. And I'm going to talk about that. But ultimately, the rest of the game is really solid. Yeah. Like, it's hard for me to make that call having not played it. So it depends on the person themselves. I, I feel like obviously each, each person, depending on who the reviewer is, may feel, you know, that, that lands differently for each person. Like, again, if it's someone who, who maybe, you know, has suffered through those things and they're reviewing a game, for example, the, this game, they might be inclined to talk more about that stuff and how that failure ruined the game for them versus me or someone else or, you know, whoever who may not have experienced that specific, you know, domestic abuse scenario. That it's really tricky to say. Um, my hope is that, like, I would be able to kind of, take it at the very you know i work I'm, i think i'm at the point in my career where i can come at most games even-handedly and kind of appraise them for what they are trying to, what they are and what they try to do and and do a good job of review um and my hope is that like i can just do that as normal and like yeah and, and you know not have to i guess what i'm trying to say is i hope it doesn't suck and i can just you know <laughs> say that it's a good game maybe has some flaws and i hope it, uh, it manages to land all the all the kind of weird not the weird but the tricky you know harrowing stuff that it tries to, the subject matter that it tries to deal with and it does it well um but yeah it's that's it's difficult to say how you'd approach that from a review perspective it's 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 games like detroit that make and again it's not out yet but it, it makes the the scoring system so tough it is hard to slap a score on something mm-hmm. like that especially since like you said it's going to be so different from person to person and i've been one of those people who i'm fine with review scores in a lot of cases because i get it i get sometimes you just want to scroll down to the bottom paragraph read that look at the score and be like oh cool the new wolfenstein's good i'm gonna go get that <laughs> and then you can also read these long you know long form pieces that delve into certain aspects of it how certain scenes were yeah. handled and stuff like that i think there's a lot of value in all that way and you talked earlier about being a fan of GameSpot before. And I think we were both the same in that way where you came up when you were in school or maybe like, you know, you were just trying to break into this. You were reading people like Jeff Gertzman and Ryan Davis. And mm. um, for me, you know, Kevin Van Ord was who yeah. I was reading right before I really started to get into it. And, you know, it's, you look at that stuff and it's a lot of the writing was different back then. Great, but it was, it was very different than where we're at today. And um, I, there was that tweet storm, not, I guess not tweet storm. It was a, a tweet yesterday from Colin, I always say his last name wrong, Moriarty or something. Yeah. I, yeah. Formerly of IGN, kind of funny and now doing his own thing. And I'm not here to try to like subtweet or subtweet on a podcast, I guess, or anything <laughs> like that. Him talking about how, you know, games media has changed for the worse in terms of people coming in who, you know, don't know all the facts about the entire series before they really, you know, uh, review a game or something like that or cover it. And it's funny because I, to say, we can absolutely say games media was different before, but to say that style with the reviewers tilt with, you know, like you said, almost bullet point lists for reviews with a whole bunch of, you know, obsessed gaming white dudes talking about games to say that was better. God, it's just, it, it's a, it's a bummer. It, it's, it's a big bummer for me. Cause like I can, maybe it was more accepting of that type of person back then but the diversity that's come through the ability for people who aren't you know and i said this on twitter the other day who don't have like a gunblade tattoo being able to 
talk about a Final Fantasy game and talk about their first experience. I mean, I, I've always advocated for let the person who barely plays Madden review Madden and talk about what that's like jumping into that game. There's value to that. You don't need to be this super fan, you know, formerly NeoGAF, now Reset Era kind of person who's so entrenched in games that you identify as someone who is a gamer that if people you know, don't like your favorite game, it offends you personally. And that there, there's, there's, a, there's a weirdness in how games media used to be in that way. So, you know, maybe a little bit of a rant here, but, mm-hmm. you know, where do you kind of see where we're at today compared to where we were before? Do you think we're in a much better place as media? I I, I think we're, we are. Like, I don't know what Colin's point is there. Like, uh, if you, why, why does someone who has a, you know, an opinion need to have expertise on an entire video game series. Like, like you said, like there's value in people who don't have longstanding opinions and experiences coming in and providing their perspective on it. Like if you've loved every single final fantasy game at a certain point, that's suspicious. Like, yes. <laughs> like I'm someone who's played most final fantasy games and I like to feel like I, I'm, I have my ups and downs with it. Like, but, I've skipped a few and I feel like I've, I, some of the spin-offs, for example, like, and I feel like if I, if I, I feel like I'm still capable of, you know, writing a review about a Final Fantasy game if I was assigned one or I had to take one on. Like, I'm I saying that if someone really loves Dirge of Cerberus, you might n- not want to take their <laughs> Final Fantasy seriously. Ex- That's ex- the person we're like, hold on, dude. Ex- That's one of the ones I skipped. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I, I don't think, I see no value in being exclusionary on, on who can and who can, can't say something about a video game. It seems foolish. Even if they're saying something completely stupid, it's a learning experience for everyone else around them who can look at them and go, that was a stupid thing to say better make sure i don't say that yep. and learn from it like it, i let people speak and like i don't i don't see any value in in having these gatekeeper people almost like who are like mm-hmm. i'm from the old days and i remember when i was doing this everyone was playing tetris non-stop and we could all write you know whatever it may be like who cares why, why are you why are you talking to us about this it seems like a moment where someone's like shouting from the back of the class like hey remember me yeah. It's like, no, we, we do remember you, but like, people are working here. Can you keep it down for a bit? <laughs> like, let people say, like, I don't, I can't come up with any sort of like coherent way to respond to it because it's just such an idiotic thing to say in my mind. Like, just let people have opinions and let people say their opinions. And if they're bad opinions, take them on board. If there's no, nothing va- of value for you to learn in them, discard them and move on with your life. You'll gain nothing from shouting, from old man shouts at cloud mentality. So I don't just... see a lot of factual errors in games coverage either. I'm not seeing this like crop of new reviews that assume basically talk about certain game mechanics like they're brand new when they're not or talk mm. about a certain you know second or third game in a series and completely mess up all the stuff from the first i'm not seeing that and of course yeah, i'm also I mean, no i was gonna say i mean you do get it now and then like everyone's everyone's guilty of you know making mistakes here and there but like don't be the guy who's just like oh my god you've made it this this was actually used in game number four in, and not made its debut in game number six because you look like an idiot, and you just seem a bit sad. Just, just move on with your life. That's, I totally agree with you, but like, I would rather have, again, that opinion from someone who is... I want that fresh pair of eyes who has that unique perspective that I haven't thought about. Mm-hmm. I want to read those reviews that I disagree with but are well thought out. I don't want to read a whole bunch of reviews I disagree with and are also garbage. Like That seems like a waste of time, but I want to read it from that person who has a completely different upbringing as me, has completely different tastes, and can 
extract something different out of a yeah. game. If you think that this aspect of Wolfenstein is really problematic and troubling, maybe by the end of the article, I will completely disagree with you mm. and think that even your supporting points aren't great. But a lot of times you'll find that one where you're like, you know what? Like, it doesn't really change my opinion, but it makes me look at things differently. Like, yeah. it makes me try to understand those. Like, we talked about earlier in these, these games that are creating these situations that maybe give you a window into this type of life or this type of issue. Reviews can do that too. Mm. Yeah. And like, to, to, I agree with that exactly. Like, um, and to, to the point that you were making and the question you asked, like, I feel like we're in a good place. There's more voices than ev- ever. Um, and they're, they're loud voices as well. Like you look at places like Waypoint or, or like I, I, I can't even begin to rattle off everyone, but like there's, there's, yeah. there's, there's, there's so many people around the industry that I look to now who are just diverse sets of voices that are just really interesting. And even if I don't agree with different perspectives, I like to hear them because it's challenging and it makes you think a little more and, it's just having the same people saying the same things over and over again, using the, all the knowledge that they've accumulated over years and years is incredibly boring. Like it's, it's, they're not going to say anything that makes you stop for a second and think about and, you know, the medium that you're enjoying or the game or this moment or, and surely there's more value in someone saying something to you that challenges your thinking than there is just having exactly what you know and always have known parroted back yet again. And we still have that. And that's the thing. Like, this is not like the extinction of these opinions from these, like, you know, encyclopedic knowledge type of gamers. Like, that's, that's still out there in reviews. We just also mm. have this other thing. And like, that's the weird part. It's like, it, there's even a slight infringement on this sort of, you know, sacred space to these people. And they're like, God, like, why do we have these, you know, unique opinions from people who that yeah. didn't play every single game? Like, you can have both. It's really okay. Like, there's so much out there and reviews can be so many things. And I, I think there's value in just about every style of review. Um, like if your cat started reviewing games, I would probably, you know, try to like, you know, read those, those reviews slash it'd probably just be a series of pictures. But like, I, there, there's value in this kind of stuff. And I think we need to recognize yeah. that. And, you know, I, 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 we could sit here and be glowing about how games media is today, but uh, let's also talk about this just for a little bit. What changes or advancements do you want to see in this industry? I am now out of games media. I'm in this weird podcaster spot slash working for an actual development team. So, mm-hmm. you know, I still pay attention to it. I still read a lot of it. I've, I've, you know, been at IGN and GameSpot and Video Gamer and these different places. So I, I've experience with it, but you're in it right now. So we have come a long way and I think we've made that pretty clear, but where do you see uh, areas where games coverage should grow? And more than that, what steps can we actually take to get where we need to be? Um, I don't know. It's, I think it's difficult to say again, um, but I think people should be more comfortable with putting their opinions out there and, and standing by those opinions. And I think, I think the big change needs to come from the audience almost like, the willingness to hear some what someone has to say and like i said either take that on board or you know not depending on whether it has any value i feel like we've there's a lot more voices within gaming but the audience itself hasn't changed all that much like they still have their own fan, these kind of fanboy mentalities here and there and and maybe it's just the corner i'm exposed to but i've also been in parts of the industry and in you know spoken to people who are very open and fans of games that are kind of open discussion and that kind of stuff but i feel like allowing people to say more with you and having the main thing i want to see is just have fun like just we've reached a stage where like everything needs to be some sort of drama everything needs to be some sort of like hot button issue just 
remember that it's games, like, and, and that's not to say games shouldn't just, just be this, these fun things. Like, remember, they can also, you know, tell stories and, and have meaningful, you know, messages to impart, which is partly what we talked about through this entire podcast. And it's an important part of it. But like, try and remember at the same time, I wish people would have more fun with the kind of, the way they deliver their content and, and kind of take the opportunity to, in the middle of all these kind of like think pieces and hot takes, just channel the, the person inside of you that has a lot of fun when you play video games and smiles and, and put something out that reminds people that you like games every now and then. That's, that's the kind of thing that I really, really kind of hope to see more of. Like it's something yeah. that I try and do a lot of as well. It's like I have this David Cage interview, for example, and, I personally feel like I did a decent job of that and it was balanced and it's quite a serious thing to, to read. And, and after I did that, I was like, you know what? I just want to do something fun. Like I've, I've written this thing, which, you know, it contributes to the, this important discussion that's happening, happening out there. And I feel like it, it provides to it and helps, you know, strength, strengthen different perspectives that, that people can have and what they can take away with it. So the next interview I did was with Player Unknown and I just had fun with it and I asked him about anime and vaping and chilling out <laughs> and, and like, it was just, it was just a fun thing. And I like to do that every now and then. Like if I, and I feel like that's, there's value in that because yeah. I'm one of those people who, if something gets overly tiresome or like, not tiresome, but like, if it's dragging me down constantly, I, I kind of, I step away from it. Like, I, I did this when I was working in the industry earlier. Like, when Gamergate was happening, I left for a year. And that was because I was feeling like it's, it's not fun anymore. It's, everyone's just kind of attacking different sides and it's become almost political now. And there are important mm. issues attached to it, but they're consuming every part of the industry and not everyone is contributing in a positive way. It seems to be currently, it's more like, it's just more destructive than, 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 you know, productive at the moment. Yeah. So, so I agree. So I took the opportunity to leave for a bit and just make sure that I could still hold down a real world job. If, 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 uh, you know, if the whole industry imploded on, it, on itself and I was forced to just go and do a normal job, I wanted to make sure I was in a situation where I could do that. So I did a real job for a while. I did shift work and for a year. And I was lucky enough that a year later, I felt good about my ability to function in the real world outside of the gaming space. And I got happened, I happened to get offered a job at GameSpot and I took that as well. And like, I'm that kind of person where I want people to have fun in games as well as have these meaningful conversations. And maybe it's the echo chamber I'm in right now. And maybe I need to distance it myself from that. But at the moment, it's all doom and gloom. And we all know deep down, it's not all doom and gloom because there's amazing games happening and it's fun and th there's joyous games out there. Um, I mean, Mario Odyssey is out there. So I know. It can't all and, like, be bad. Zelda came out this year. Exactly. And just, it's, it's so easy to get just like, like you said, that echo chamber to get so deep into that. Like a Gamergate was a big one. And I, I, I think I was still reviewing games at the time and it just became, like you mentioned, a lot of important issues that need to be talked about. And people who needed to be defended because people were going insane at that time. But it was also just a point where it's like, God, if you spend your entire day surfing Twitter and looking at this stuff and finding these message boards, like you're going to go crazy. Like it's really mentally harming to yeah. live in that space. And sometimes you just need to step out and realize like, look, like you're in your real life. Like there are great friends you have and good things you can do that can take your mm -hmm. mind off this stuff. And let me just say this like out loud. There are people who were so targeted in that they weren't even given the opportunity to mm -hmm. distance themselves from it. And that sucks. And that's shitty. And I was not one of those. I could like unplug at any single time. But mm -hmm. 
I mean, in terms of having fun with what we talk about, we we work in an industry where in one year you can have Tacoma and then also Wolfenstein 2, where I was just playing it last night. And, you know, like it's it's BJ's birthday party and everyone's getting hammered and the dude wakes up with his arm gone. And you're sitting there like, man, the range that games have, it's it's really incredible. And that's how we should cover it, where you yeah. have that serious interview, where you go into you know, domestic abuse and how we handle that. But then you also talk about fucking vaping with player unknown who just created this, who just changed his entire life by creating this thing. And of course him and his team, it's not just him and where 15 million people are playing it or whatever right now. It's insane. This entire industry is insane. And to just look at it in one serious way, I don't think is the right way to do it to just look at it as games have to be fun. Mm. Is not the way to do it? You have to have that balance. Uh, and that's, I think that's, I agree. We, we, we yeah. I think we've started to move maybe, so much into the somber that we need to remember, you know, not, I'm not sitting here saying like games are fun, have fun with them, but games are fun and yeah. maybe it's time to have some fun with them. And, and there's a lot, there's a lot of publications out there that do that. Like I'm, I'm obviously going to plug one of, uh, one of our own giant bombs, a great one that does yeah. that. Like I, I, whenever I tune into, into any of their videos or, or listen to their podcasts, I always, it makes me smile. It makes me happy. Waypoint does a similar thing. Kotaku has highlight reel. There's loads of smaller places like Spawn on Me I love and, oh, yeah. and a whole bunch of other podcasts. IGN's does amazing things we've prepared to try and, and various other, you know, there's loads out there that do, that do it. But I just think like, let's, let's take the opportunity. Like if you're on Twitter just right now, open Twitter and just say something nice about a video game. Yeah. Just, just do, do it. that every now and then. Dare you. That's the challenge for just, this week. Just do it. Yeah. <laughs> get, get a hashtag in there if you want it. <laughs> like, uh, hashtag positive gamer. Positive gamer. Yeah. Whatever it may be. Just say something nice. Just, rem- just rem- look out for yourself and, you know, make yourself happy. And it's good that you're fighting for a cause and it's good that you're saying, you know, discussing important issues on the internet. But if you, so if that's the only thing you're doing sooner or later, you're going to burn out. So every now and then just take a break, have play a game, have fun say something nice about the fun and then get back into it you owe that to yourself at yeah. this point you need you need that sort of thing in this industry it. especially if you're in media uh tomorrow <laughs> we both have to go so what are you working on at GameSpot that you could talk about right now and where can people find you on social media uh i'm currently working on it's it's the end of the year so we're all kind of gearing up towards uh end of the year discussions and that kind of stuff but we have a few i'm arranging a bunch of reviews and and working on a few features in the back end that i unfortunately cannot reveal yet um but it's all exciting stuff i'm i'm always happy to be working at GameSpot. i'm surrounded by the best people in the world you've met you've spoken to lucy there's mm-hmm. also big i just want to take this opportunity to get a shout out to dave jewett um adam mason sam long and oscar deus and will potter who are my team and and they are the best people in the world so like i love going to work it's the highlight of my day every day <laughs> so like i'm working on things with them and it's going to be cool and and it's going to be amazing for the rest of the year and next year and i hope you guys enjoy what we put out um you can find me on twitter i'm at tomorrow h um uh tomorrow i'm super happy we delayed this podcast a week because of that interview that you did like it made it ideal where i'm like now i know exactly what we're yeah. going to talk about and also, uh, thanks and also Sorry, we can ahead. speak because uh, I lost my voice last week, and so was so did you. So it was like, oh, made yeah, we were both sick at the exact same time. And I was just like, I feel like a dick for trying to cancel on this right now, but I, I feel also like hot garbage. Yeah, and I was on the other side, going like, damn, I'm gonna have to cancel, but I feel so. See, it all worked out in the end. I think if the host cancels, it's better. I, I feel like I'll, I'll bite the bullet. Uh, thanks so much for doing this. No, I really fun. reading the interviews you do, seeing what you guys do at Gamespot, talking to you and Lucy. It's 
it's it's it's really cool all the content you guys are doing uh the way you guys talk about games it, it's fun to have you know the the u.s side of GameSpot. i know a lot of people there but also a lot of what you uh your team does is super unique and um i i'm happy you're back in the industry after your hiatus um i'm happy you're at GameSpot, and i'm looking forward to what you guys do for the end of the year and i'm just saying i, I still i feel like overwatch could win game of the year in 2017 I, even though it came out last year as well. i am making the case I am okay dead. all right if you if you can like phone a friend and like skype me in they'll be like hey, I'm, i freelanced for you for like two years don't worry about it overwatch like i know there's a roadhog nerf and that kind of hurts its case but hear me out like i i, I think it could do it yeah, I agree. Any game with Zarya in it has to be game of the year every year. So <laughs> every year Zarya just wins it. Uh, <laughs> I agree. But yeah, uh, thanks again, and uh, thank you everyone for listening. Hopefully, tune back in for the next episode of the Ten Ninety Nine.